the volume. Hey, it's the sessions presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel. FanDuel has exclusive offers, boosts, and more all month long, baby. And when you win, you get paid real fast. FanDuel has lots of ways to play, like the spread, money line, over-unders, team totals, player props, and so much more. Jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. Such a cool feature. And you can combine multiple bets from the same game in a same game parlay to try out Same Game Parlay Plus. So download the FanDuel app today and start making every moment more. Disclaimer, 21 plus in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Minneapolis, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, and Ohio. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org for Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode, mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on the show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to, to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it, learn a little bit about each other. Um, so it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviated highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also, of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. Yay, Nicole! Oh my God, I'm so excited to see you. You have like this glow happening, married woman, mother, entrepreneur, just like firing on all freaking cylinders. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Oh my goodness, so good. Definitely on a high after the wedding special aired last night. It was really cool to share that with the world but then also watch it and Artem hadn't seen it yet so to watch it with him was also like really neat except when we had our big argument I felt like I was right so I kind of was like oh did you see that moment when you weren't letting me talk do you mean when you guys were at like dinner yes that was a massive buildup because Artem and I are very much um we're very passionate and we can be not great one day and the next day be like amazing. And it's because he's never been that way. But I think being a twin, Brie and I will cut each other down one second. And then next second, we're like, you want to go get a glass of wine? So it's really hard on Brian and Artem. John and I can be like that sometimes too. We're like, we'll snap about something. And then like a minute later, it's like, well, what do you want to have for dinner? Okay, fine, whatever. Like you just like let things go. How are you in terms of like a communicator? Where do you kind of fall on that scale? With Artem, he's always felt like um, I'm like too honest about things, but I feel like because of my past relationship, I held a lot in to be such a pleaser that when I got into this relationship, I was like, I'm just going to fully communicate how I feel. And it has made me 
very strong in the relationship where I think Artem at times is like, whoa, because I kind of fell into pattern of like, not that I was scarred from the past, but I was like, what I feel and what I want to do, I'm going to do it. So this is the life I want to live. And if this is how my soul is feeling, I'm doing it. So where I had to learn to recommunicate was, no, now I share a life with this man and a child. So I need to kind of learn the word compromise and communicate more in that way. And that that was really tough. And I feel Artem holds a lot in in his culture. They don't talk about it. I feel like that's dudes in general. Like guys are always kind of like that. But I'm sure, you know, culturally that probably plays a role as well. But I'm like that with John. I got to pull teeth sometimes. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, totally. And I, I even we were in couples therapy for a bit. And even then, I feel like they were trying to pull from Artem. Now, he would definitely be more open yeah. in those situations. And I'd be like, oh, wow. So that is, it's so funny. I've, we have never done couples therapy. But like, like, how does that go in terms of like, are you saying things in that group setting that you might not say to each other in person? Like, I always kind of wonder what, like, because you have a mediator now to be like, pick me. I've, I'm obviously the one that's right here. How does that go? Oh yeah. I think especially for the men, they say things that they may not generally say, but I like it because the mediator, the therapist totally brings things out of you. But what's great is when you start to argue or you disagree, she makes you see each other's point of views. And this is where I'm like, okay, therapy is super healthy. Even if you don't have the biggest issues, to get in there even every few months and like yeah. in is great. My life coach, she helped Artem and I for a bit, but she helps me a lot. I mean, in every aspect of my life, but she was like, do weekly check-ins. She's like once a week. With each other, you and Artem do weekly check-ins? Yeah. yeah. And let it be like an hour of you get to say whatever it is you want, both of you, but what's on your mind? How are you feeling? Good or bad? And I have to say that helps a lot. It's just kind of like, hey, this really bothered me this past week. I didn't say anything, but I didn't like how you handled this situation. Or, hey, like you were an all-star dad. And I don't know if I gave you enough props for it, but like you were incredible. I feel like that's so important to do because we all get so busy. We all have a million things going on that it's really easy to just like brush things under the rug, especially when it's little things. Now, all of a sudden, these little things have turned into these giant dirt piles underneath this rug. It's smart to just kind of like check in and like have that awareness to keep the relationship healthy. Totally. Like when I look back at a lot of my past relationships, but like if I was only more honest with myself and my partner, things could have been different or maybe there wouldn't have been as much heartache or maybe the road would have been different. But I do believe we all have a specific journey that we're on and like my journey led me here and I'm beyond grateful for like my life. I look at my son, I look at my husband, I look at our home and where we live, like all of it, all the work I'm doing. I'm like, this is where it brought me. But with looking at art and being like, you are the rest of my life. I just know that like, okay, I have to be honest about these things and speak it. So we stay super healthy and passionate because sex is super important for me. (laughs) No, you don't say. I know, right? (laughs) And Artem and I have the best sex life. And I I told him, I'm like, I never want that to change. So I don't ever want us to like resent each other. Like makeup sex is great, but like. Sure. Did Wait, did sex change for you guys after having Mateo? Like, how did that change? It's like tired sex. You know, it's nice to get like amped up. What was weird was like six weeks after Mateo, 
I got crazy horny. He's like, aren't you supposed to wait? And I was like, rip my clothes off now. And Bree's like, this is not normal. But then that was like only for like a few weeks. And then it's just, it's tired sex. Yeah. We have, it's a lot of the same positions. It's not, it's not long all the time. We get the job done. We both get off and then we're like, let's go to bed. It's so funny when that like switch kind of happens. Cause yeah, it's kind of like, it's not just like going through the motions of doing it, but you're like, "Ah, all right, let's hit it. Let's move on to the next. It's like, it's not checking the box of the day, but it's kind of like, okay, cool. We did that thing. We got to connect, but now like I either need to take a nap or I have like this giant laundry list of things that I need to do. And I'm trying not to think about those while we're having sex. That's so funny. Artem and I, I feel like a lot of our sex is during Mateo's nap time. Like when nighttime comes around, majority of the time, like and we add some wine, we are done. We want to watch Love Island UK and just get to bed. <laughs> yeah, we both, after we had sex, we were like, oh gosh, we got so tired. I think it was like Super Bowl week was insane, all this stuff. And it was just like finally getting that orgasm and being in bed with him. And I was like, he was about to wake up. Let's just get the Red Bull out. Let's get coffee. (laughs) Time to kick out. We got shit to do. So great. It's so fun for me to hear you say with my husband and my son, because I've not even been able to see you in person since all of these things have happened from you having Mateo to even like your and Artem's relationship for the most part. Like I've not seen you a ton during that so it's really fun and like watching watching Nikki Bella says I do like John and I were watching the finale last night and yes like seeing you as a mom it's so cool how has being a mom changed things for you so much and I and I know you feel the exact same it's crazy because when Mateo came into my life you always hear about the love and you can't explain it but it is crazy like Mateo came out and instantly my life changed forever. My perception on everything, like you realize so much does not matter in life. Like what we would stress about or get anxiety about or hold on to when Mateo came around, it was like everything changed my purpose, my perspective, whether it was my career or how I was living life. And then that love, and he's a huge mama's boy. He loves his daddy, but He is all about mama. And Mateo and I had quite a journey when he was born. That's right. You got thrown in the deep end. Six weeks after we were in Phoenix and uh, Artem had to leave to Dancing with the Stars. And then I was like, okay, well, we'll join you like after eight weeks. Now we're still at the height of the pandemic. So I already felt very much alone in the pregnancy as far as like Artem couldn't go to doctor's appointments or any of that. Thank God I had Brie. And then I remember driving across the desert with Mateo at eight weeks old to LA to get there. And then Artem, his whole dance, like everyone he was dancing with all tested positive for COVID. So like Artem had to vacate the home. They had to clean it. I was alone again in LA for a little bit. And then we were moving to Napa, but I was heading there before Artem was done with the season. So Mateo and I then went to Napa. This was all like driving. Did you have anybody else in the car with you or is it just you and Mateo? Because driving with a baby for the first time is terrifying. Terrifying. And Mateo was not crazy about it, but I'm going through the desert like 120 degrees. I would have to nurse him on the side of the road because I didn't trust public restrooms at the time. I'd pee in bottles. It was just, I I just remember being like so tested as a mom. But even as like my career's grown, any job that I take, it's always like, how does my son fit into this comfortably? And if he doesn't, then I don't take it. 
And so everything's worked out amazing, but he's just has changed everything. I thought I would be hustling and doing, you know, wanting to do all these other things. And I want to take him to school. I want to pick him up. I want to be for all the first. Um, I love being like a hands-on mom. And it's been amazing. And it's tough. Like I get when they say it's the toughest job, but the most rewarding because I'm effing tired. So did you have to like grow in to figuring out making that time for things? Because I feel like we're similar in the sense of like, you have a million different things going on and we're busy and we're working and we have, we, you know, you strive to have the careers that luckily we're able to, to have and you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. Then you have the baby. And then there's sort of that moment of like your, your priorities completely shift and you need to like rejig your schedule. Did it take you a second to kind of like figure out what that new pattern was? Oh my gosh, totally. I think that was the one thing I was grateful for about the pandemic is uh, it forced me to sit still for a second when certain companies were either at a pause or closed down. And when I had Mateo and, and knew like how life changing that was, I just realized that I had to start saying no to things, even though it was hard because I love being known as this entrepreneur, as this TV host, as this podcaster, YouTuber, the list kept going on. But what I realized is one thing I started to care about the most was being an all-star mom. So what did I have to let go of, even if it was hard? And this is where my life coach helped me tremendously. But I knew I had to step away from Nicole and Breezy because I, I couldn't give my full focus to that company, even though I was obsessed with our hair product, because I just was in other things I was more passionate about. Um, why we haven't relaunched Birdie Bee. There were just things that I had to start to step away from and then opportunities that came my way that I had to say no to. Because I just realized, okay, with 24 hours in a day, and if I was to break this down to be great at these few things, then I knew I had to let go of other things. Did you ever get, I guess, I don't know if like resentful is the word, because I feel like I almost get like resentful towards myself. I'm like, why did you pack your schedule so full? Now I feel like I'm almost not doing everything to the full capability that I should be doing them. And it, it makes me like almost a little bit mad. Like I find my like mood shifting a little bit, which is tricky for everybody else around <laughs> oh my gosh totally well everyone had been asking like why haven't the Bella Twins been posting on YouTube that was the first thing that Brie and I finally had a pause because what we do is WWE would send out the crew about I think once a month or twice a month and we do like morning till night filming to get enough footage for the month and just that alone started to become exhausting and Brie and I were like we're not happy when we're done with it. We're not happy during it. Why are we doing it right now? Like it doesn't fit in the schedule. How to take that out because that shifted major moods and made us very grumpy. And then there was like other things where I was like, if, if I feel like I'm getting like super grumpy, it has to go. And it was hard to like, let go of some things, but I feel you on that. I just was like, I have no energy for this. I've been into so much energy work. So I've been working hard on the past few years of really trying to listen to my body and that my body, which is my soul and myself is trying to tell me how I feel about things. So if I instantly went into a meeting or Zoom and it was with one of my companies or another situation, something potentially about to happen. And if my body shifted, I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing it. That's really smart. Yeah, because your body is telling you. You know, deep down, you're like genetic makeup is like, nope. Think of some of the things that either didn't work out or you wish you never did. If you go back and think of your feeling before signing that contract or accepting that job, 
how did you feel? I remember every single one. I never felt great. And I felt like I was making my agent happy or my team happy. Bree and I will talk about this all the time. And I'm like, there's one even specific contract signing I had. And we both looked at each other. And we're like, we don't know if this is right. A few years later in a massive lawsuit cost me a lot of money. It was like my body was telling me. So now I listen to my body so much. Okay. So you've mentioned having a life coach, having therapists, uh, working on energy. Where do you like acquire these things, especially like a life coach? I feel like that's a term that I hear. I have no idea where you even find a life coach. How do you find someone that you trust to coach you through life? Let me think. How did, how was Carrie referred to me? Um, oh, a friend. Like someone close enough to me who saw that I was internally having a battle and was like, I don't think you're talking about things. And I know you and I've known you for a long time. And I think there's a major struggle happening inside you. You need help. And it wasn't like therapy help. It was like, you need life coach help. And so this person introduced me to this woman and I started to meet with her. And she was very life changing for me. She pulled things out of me that a therapist never could. Brie never could. Do you guys do it together? You and Brie go to all the most of these things together or no? I started individually and then I brought Brie in to meet with Carrie. She started individually. And then what's great is because all our business, majority of our businesses are together, Brie and I once a month do it together. So we do our own once or twice a month. And then once a month we do it together. Brie and I are very different. As you know, you're very much like a Brie and I'm this, this bougie bitch over here. So we've had to learn how to really respect each other in business and respect our own values and differences, but how we can continue to build this empire. She's been so helpful with that. So she just kind of came into my life and I now can never not have her. Like she is, I will give up all wardrobe cost and never shop online just to make sure I can pay for my life coach. Okay. Talk to me about Artem. Because I don't really know Artem. I know Artem through your social media. I know him obviously from watching Nikki Bella says I do. Why was the connection with Artem so strong for you guys to seek out this beautiful life together? Artem was just such a soul connection. It was like trying to fight energy. When I had met Artem, there was instant chemistry and that soul energy, but not in for me, not in a romantic way at all. But I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like becoming such good friends with this guy. I never thought I'd be good friends with like a Russian ballroom dancer. Like we have in common. We are not only raised so differently, but just how we both live life is so different. Like arms more in your breeze side of things. Not me at all. So it was, we just had this amazing instant connection. Now, what was crazy is everyone else around us saw all this chemistry and stuff. And I don't know if I was just so terrified to dance every week. I did not see what everyone else was seeing. Like I knew I, I had this, this amazing energy with this person who I was like, you're going to be my BFF for life. That's literally how I would treat him. That's how like I felt about him was like this BFF. And then when I went through everything I did in my past relationship and the breakup, and I remember when Artem reached out and we went, um, even on our first few dates, it was like, just, magic. Like I don't, it, it was, it's hard to explain. And I do remember even when dancing with the stars ended, I would always think about Artem. We would check up on each other. Cause he went straight on tour. I never saw him, but we'd like check up on each other. We would chat every now and then. So then when we had these dates, my eyes couldn't stop sparkling. 
So it did not feel friend zone-ish to like break out of that. Like, oh, we're best friends for forever. But how like now it's a romantic setting. We did a farmer's market thing and that was like fun and it, it was flirty. But it was when we were sitting down and like staring at each other's eyes. And he's like, how's life? And and I got so shy and I was like, hey, like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, you know, I just <laughs> I it was really it was weird, the shift. And then I just butterflies and like I was like oh my god why am I finding him so hot don't find him hot who cares Artem like you don't like him and then it was I remember I was um leaving his house and he just like grabbed me and put me up against the wall and like laid this kiss on me because I think there was so much buildup for so long it was just a kiss but it felt like I just like had the best making love session ever I I know people will probably, I wrote this, but what I did realize is like Artem was totally heaven sent to me. He came into my life exactly when he needed to. And he came in for a reason. Um, Cause you know, I was originally supposed to do dancing with the stars. When I came back with my neck injury at SummerSlam, dancing with the stars was trying to give me that season. And I was going to dance with Derek Huff. And I remember sitting and talking with Vince in the office. And I, I was just telling Vince, like, I want my comeback to be in the ring. I'll do both, but I won't choose dancing over wrestling. I want to wrestle. And so Vince was just like, Chris Jericho said it was really hard doing both. So you just have to make that decision. I was like, okay, I'm going to wrestle. I'm not going to do dancing with stars. Like I didn't care because I was just wanting to get back in that ring. And all that happened because the Eva Marie stuff so quick, but then the opportunity came back and like, look, then I was with Artem. So I just feel like, you know, that's your journey and things are meant to be. And then it just happened really Fast for Artem and I. I literally got pregnant 11 months into Oh my gosh. That's wild. And I would try to break up with him. Like I was so confused. And I even like sat him down and I was like, this is when I was like always so honest. And I was like, look, I'm not healed from my past relationship. I'm still struggling and dealing with things. Like if you want to deal with a girl that's on a roller coaster ride of emotions, feel free. If you don't, I don't blame you. Run for me. I was still going on my own journey and he just was there all the time and through bad times and good times. And, and then now here we are and he's literally Renee, when you meet him, he's the sweetest man in the world. Like everyone says it when they meet him, they're like, he's so sweet. And he has this aura about him. He's very calming. And everyone will say that to me too. Like strangers, they'll be like, he's so calming. (laughs) He's exactly what I needed. He's calmed me in so many ways and has shown me like how to relax in life and enjoy the little things. He's a very, very simple man. Not bougie at all. (laughs) Does he struggle with some of the bouginess? Beyond. Oh my gosh. Worse than Brian does? They're about equal. And they'll have these conversations. And um, at times I feel like Artem's more because what the gifts... Brian gets Brie and I'll be like, Artem, did you see what Brian got Brie for our birthday? (laughs) (laughs) Brian's a really good gift giver. Brian is like insanely thoughtful and he'll spend like money. But like Brian is the ultimate at gift giving. And Artem's very cute. His is very simple. And I laugh because it's like, he'll hear me say something. It's always either diamonds or opus one. I feel like because he's like, God, she talks about (laughs) When he does give me a gift, it's like that. But he's he's very, he's frugal. Even we have the same business manager and they're like, Artem, I need to spend a little bit more money, you know, for taxes. He likes to invest his money, but 
He sends money home. He just doesn't like to spend it. Yeah. Well, hey, fair enough. John's like that too. John like John does not like he likes to tighten those purse strings where I'm like, let's get this. And what about this? Like right now, like our kitchen's being renovated, our bathroom's being renovated. It's like one thing he wants to like gouge my eyeballs out, I'm sure. Um, okay, so you guys were obviously raised very differently. You mentioned some of the cultural differences between you and Artem. How does that play in when raising a baby together? It's probably some of our biggest arguments. I realize we both, though, are very much helicopter parents. So um, it's funny because we'll hear some comments of like, oh, they're so first-time parents. I'm like, I'm not going to go let my kid run around the block. He's two and a half. So sorry. Yeah, I'm going to be right there all the time. He's going to hate me at a certain age, and then he'll be grateful for me at a certain age. But I will be by his side, you know, till my, my, the end of my time. But, um, we have differences. It's weird because I feel like we believe in a lot of the same things as far as how we are with Mateo, but then we will get in these arguments. I'm trying to think of some where we will just be very stern, like Mateo's in speech therapy. And so it'll be like, we hear different things. Um, but we've had a few, I feel like those are our most arguments. Artem's more protective in the way of like, I'm more about toughening him up in certain things. He's such a graceful human being and just calm and peaceful. We lived very different lives in that way. He and his family never argued. There was never abuse. He didn't fight growing up. He danced. I grew up in a very different home where there were drugs and abuse and like also love, but we handled things very differently. I was disciplined in a very different way. Artem was never disciplined. And not that I don't believe in disciplining how that was at all. Like I'm raising my son the exact opposite, but I just grew up so differently. Like when I'd have things, they'd be more aggressive or with fighting. Artem never once, never. So um, I just want my son to be prepared because Mateo is exactly like his dad. He's the sweetest boy to where I've even seen at times on the playground. I'm, I'm like... Walk away. Artem's like, I got it. Because he's the one who kind of gets bullied or boys taken away or hit down to the ground. And and he'll just look and not understand it and like lets them do it. Where I'm like, go get it yeah. back. Like, <laughs> grab it. And Artem's like, you just go. And I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, want him to like stick up for himself. But I was like, I told Artem, like, when it comes that time, I am teaching him how to stick up for himself. I want him to always stay a sweet boy, but I want him to be prepared. So, you know, having a kid like it's always something I mean, you know, we've done a million different be a star rallies and we've you know, we've talked about anti-bullying so many different times. But now when you have a kid to imagine somebody treating your kid that way or your kid being the kid, they can't speak up for themselves or oh, my God, like I just can't handle it. It shatters my heart. Guys, I am so beyond excited for this. George Strombolopoulos, the Strombo, joining me here on the sessions. Dare I say, I've never been this nervous to do an interview. No, but it's true. You are like without just blowing smoke up your ass to start the interview. You're like the GOAT interviewer. So it's hard to prep for the guy that does the interview because I feel like maybe you're going to like cross analyze me or like. Really? That's what you wanted to ask me? Well, you're very kind to say that. You were kind to say all those nice words off the top. Thank you. But the secret to a good interview is to be present and to listen and to actually care about the person you're sitting across from. And so I am in that same place being interviewed by you. So this will be lovely. 
Where are you right now? What's going on in your world? I'm in Los Angeles right now. I do a daily show for Apple Music. So I'm, uh, I spend my mornings early having East Coast time zone meetings, living in a West Coast. And then I, uh, I try to do as much as I can before I have to head to the studio and clear my brain and just go have fun and play music. So that's, uh, and do interviews. So that's where I am right now, LA, getting ready for, uh, for a new show. Did it take you a while to adjust to that, like your internal clock being on East Coast time to then going to Pacific Coast time and feeling like you were missing out on things during the day? You've had to uh, accommodate for that? Yeah, luckily for me, I am always uh, running at the same pace. So I feel like people have to adjust to the fact that I don't need to slow down. You know, that's <laughs> one of the one of the great challenge. You know, your greatest strength is your greatest weakness in many respects, right? Yes. In life. Mine is definitely that my pace is relentless. My pace has never stopped since I was, I think I got into the workforce when I was 11 or 12. And I've been working at this pace pretty much the whole time. Wait, 11 to 12. What was your first job? I called it landscaping, but really all I was doing was digging up weeds and mowing lawns. And I was unloading um, dump trucks with limestone and filling in ditches. Then I got a job driving a forklift at the airport in Toronto where I was unloading airplane containers. I was a teenager then uh, working at a movie theater at the same. I had two or three jobs pretty much from, I think, 14, 15 years old on. I've had more than more than two or three things on the go since that. And I'm that's 35 years ago. What's with all the jobs? What is that hustle? What is the need to like stay so busy and like business oriented? I think I realized very early, and maybe it's because the music I listened to, and I grew up, you know, in the home of immigrants. So like, I'm I'm the first person in my family, I believe, born in Canada. And I grew up realizing that the government, the police, the judges, the schools, the churches, none of these are on your side. Everything you ever get to will be either through luck and the grace of others. Or sheer, as Gord Downey said, you know, will and determination. And no one told me that. I just saw it. I saw my mom, a single mom, raising a family, working her ass off. And I'm like, man, if you want to do this, you got to go. So that's been my whole life. And now I just like to make things. I don't have a family. I don't have kids. I never wanted any of that stuff. So I'm just like, what can we go do today that's exciting? It's funny having that like that kind of like go getter attitude because I feel like I was always the same. I mean, not not you know I wasn't born uh, to to immigrants in Canada. I didn't see like that side of it, but it, like I was same thing. Actually, one of my first jobs was working for a garden center. I was working like one of the old cash registers, like pruning the flowers. I always just wanted to work. And the same thing actually applied to like my broadcasting career where I was like, where can I go? What can I work in? And we can get into all that stuff in terms of like where to work in Canada and how limiting that can be in certain respects. But yeah, having that hustle all the time of like, what's next? Where can I go? It's a really funny like fire to have in your belly. How have you been able to maintain that for this long and to keep that work pace up? To me, it's not hustle. It's grind. And they're different. And that hustle is often about getting something off somebody. Grind is just about you and your experience and what you're doing. I've always approached my life, my career. I worked the way I partied, which is a lot. I ride motorcycles the way I make shows, which is I am all in all the time. I don't negotiate with myself like in my own head, I mean, of extreme accountability, but I don't really care about the end result. So for me, it was just the doing, doing, doing was the thing that I valued the most. 
I was lucky enough to listen to good music and watch good movies and read good books when I was young so that my foundation prepared me for this. When when things go well, if I have a great career or I get fired from a job public, I don't care. Like, it's not about that. It's about the doing of it. So I've been prepared, I think, by the art that I've consumed over my life to be able to keep going. And uh, and I don't really worry about any of the other stuff. It's grind, though, not hustle. Because grinding, you're creating space, I think, for other people, where hustle is often about taking things from people. Have you ever found yourself in precarious situations or... Uh... I guess having that lifestyle of being on the motorcycles, working all the time, like do you ever burn yourself out or fall into like injuries or need to like give yourself a little bit of a breather to, to refill your cup? One of my days I was doing the late night talk show, but we would record around 5 PM. I think it was the first or second day of the new season. And I got on my motorcycle. I had a Jixxer 750 uh, outside of Wayne Gretzky's in Toronto. And I went too fast and I crashed and I broke my collarbone and I had a concussion and I ripped my leg and I was crumbled underneath my motorcycle. And this gentleman who lived on the street called Frosty said, you better get out of here before the cops come. Now, there was no reason for me to get out before the cops come because I wasn't doing anything wrong except for being stupid. And I don't know why I listened to him, but he pulled my busted up shoulder, pulled it out, put me on my motorcycle and sent me away. So I rode home and I realized very, I knew right away, I'm like, I'm hurting, I'm in trouble. So I, I get myself to the hospital. And this is where I'm the wrong guy to listen to because I left the hospital. I got wheeled to the front door. I got out of the wheelchair. I got crutches and I went to work and I didn't take any painkillers, not even Tylenol or aspirin because I, I thought, A, they would make me dopey on the air. B, I didn't want to get accustomed to painkillers because I like to do things. So I didn't want to get into painkiller life. I didn't want to go back to that part of my life. Uh, and also, I thought the accident was 100% my fault. And if I'm going to be stupid, I should pay for it. But dude, I went on the air and I did the show the entire time while my bones healed. So the answer to your question is no. But I don't actually think I did it the right way. I think that I suffer today from that choice. I feel like my brain rewired in how gangster I was about my career. And I, I think given another opportunity, I would probably do it the same way, but I would hope that I wouldn't. I don't miss shows, which is dumb. Renee, I wish it wasn't like that. Why do you not miss shows? Is that you feel like you're letting people down? Is it that grind? What is it? I feel like my responsibility is to make the gig. And I know that that is part of toxic workplace mentality. I know that, but I guess it's because I grew up in a world where if you didn't make the gig, you didn't get paid, you didn't feed your family. Now, I know that I've passed beyond that stage of my life, but it's just my old school wiring and conditioning. So now I'm very, now I'm much different. I still work like this. I work through being sick and I work through being hurt. I've had multiple motorcycle accidents and made the gig. There was a time at Much Music where I was on the air and what people couldn't see when I was doing Much News, I was on the air and what people couldn't see was behind me the producer, Catherine, had her hand on my back, holding me up because I couldn't use my left leg. And so she was holding me up and no one would know because we shot, you know, just framing me. So I, I just always came from that mentality. And now what I do is if I feel like something is not right, I make sure that I prioritize what needs to be done. Well, I can't shirk this responsibility, but what I can do is cut everything else out of my day to heal. I don't care about what I want. 
I only care about what I need in that moment. I've changed my whole life in, in that respect where I'm like, okay, I have to make the show, but I'm not feeling 100% or my back is broken or something. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend 16 hours in recovery and I'm going to spend three hours doing the gig. Okay, so I may be going into a different territory here, but because you are hardwired that way, you work, you work, you work. That is the priority. You mentioned that you don't have a family. It wasn't something that you wanted. Do those things go together? Did you purposefully not make room for those things because you have worked at the pace that you have? Yes, it was very intentional. I don't think you can have it all. I think you can have a lot of it, not at the same time. I think that... To do what I did for a living the way I wanted to do it, which was remain true to myself, like remain true for better or for worse. It meant I didn't want to have to make choices based on any other input than what is the most truthful way I can be. I remember talking to Mark Messier. This is just after he retired and he got married. And I said to him, it's interesting that you got married now. And he said, yeah, because when I was the captain of the team, had I had a family, they wouldn't believe that winning was the most important thing in my life. That kind of comment creates a whole bunch of responses in a comment section and everybody thinks what's right or wrong. But the, the fact is, only you really know what works best for you. I'm not Mark Messier by any means. I'm not that good. But I absolutely set out to do this thing the way I wanted to do it. The way I heard Joe Strummer do it or George Carlin do it or Chuck D do it or Ice-T do it, where you kind of, these are the people I grew up really liking as a 14-year-old, 15-year-old, and the way Patti Smith did it. And I thought, now they had families, some of them, but for my life, I'm like, no, I'm all in on this. So I made a choice like a long time ago. Some of the people always say, oh, you'll meet the right person. I'm like, no, I've met the right person. I was the wrong person. Is there one person that you think was your right person? No, no, no. I've been, I've been so privileged to have dated some of the most amazing women with the most amazing minds, the most amazing hearts. I've been so grateful. I'm the man that I am today because of these beautiful relationships I've had raised by my mother and my sister and my grandmother. Like I've, I've been around some really beautiful brains and hearts and they've been instrumental in raising me into the, the, the man that I became. So they were all great. It was, I was the issue. I was the issue. <laughs> You know, it's an interesting point, though, because I mean, you know, being married, having a daughter now, and I wasn't that girl that was, was like, oh, I can't wait to get married. I can't wait to have kids, da, 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 like those things lined up. And it happened for me and it's the best. But I see it even in like my husband, who has always been a bit of like a lone wolf in his career. He's always done his own thing. Professional wrestling has always been his deal. And I have to remind myself of those things as well in terms of like, creating space for the things that he needs to do to stay on track, to stay focused, to do the things he does. And I'm like, we've got these things to do and our kid needs this. And sometimes, yeah, you just need to like keep those dreams in the forefront. We have this fire in us that has to be stoked. And if you don't stoke it and maintain it, that fire either dies out or gets out of control and torches everything around it. And I recognized in me at a young age that I have this I have this fire that burns and that's as bad as it is good. So I had to maintain it and I had to protect it. And I realized to be a great father would mean I couldn't create movies or stories the way that I want to. So I was like, well, I have to make a choice. Plus I 
I just looked around and went, well, I just do what feels right. And I've never felt the need for it. Like never. I have no idea how you do that and this. Like I have no idea how, because the thing that it I don't- It makes your head do, spin. It does make your head spin for sure. My relationship with sleep is so tenuous at best that to give up another two hours because something needs something, fuck that. <laughs> I'm not doing that. It's not really the sleep for me because I can function pretty well on a minimal amount of sleep. It's more so keeping those creative juices flowing. What's next? What's this other thing? Can I make this meeting? Can I get to this part of town? Um, it's yeah, it's kind of making space for that creativity to still be able to like flow through you. And I'm still kind of juggling that. Luckily, I'm I have jobs and I'm busy and that keeps me focused with all those things. But yeah, sometimes I'm like, oh, God, human beings also are the only animal that I'm aware of that can reinvent their experience. They're the only animal that can decide it's going to be something else. As great as spiders are, and they are, I've never met one that started a band. But this idea that one of the, I think the true jewels of the human experience is within your a version of biology, you can kind of do a lot of different things. So I think hope is a monumental, a monumental North Star to follow. And hope is not a plan, but it is important. And you have to be able to push yourself to do these things. Now, some people don't. Some people actually, their whole thing is they want to build a community with a family and do that. And that's great. Like, I think you have to know what your version is. And where I think people get themselves into trouble in their lives is when the gulf between who they want to be and who they are is too wide. I heard somebody say once, the distance between who you are and who you want to be is the size of your unhappiness. And that really smoked me. I went, wow, dude. That's something to like sit and you have like a glass of wine and sit and think about that one. Oh, Lord. Okay. I want to go back to something that you were talking about uh, earlier in terms of Growing up in Canada, um, you're you're working, you're grinding away, you're figuring things out, but you were consuming all this art, the literature, the music, et cetera, et cetera. And that really put you on course to be who you are today, to lay the foundation for all of the things that you brought to us, to me. You really were the guy that told us what was cool, what we should know about. What were like the first things that really stuck to you in terms of like the literature and the art that you were consuming that really made you want to hone in on all this? It was all the scary stuff, right? It was all the edgy stuff that I would have been too young to have seen or should have seen, like seeing Night of the Living Dead when I was five or six years old, same age when I saw The Exorcist, same age when I heard Alice Cooper. A couple of years later, I heard The Misfits. and the rise of Slayer and Metallica, the beginnings of Public Enemy, all the stuff that was in the margins of the conversation were the things that I was naturally drawn to. It's why, it's why you know, Renee, I don't know how much free will we actually have because I don't know why I chose all that stuff. My, mom, my mother said to me, it was like the lights went out of my eyes. You just were drawn to all this really dark art. But and I'm grateful that I was drawn to that stuff because what it did was teach me to be comfortable in being an outsider. It taught me to be comfortable with questioning, not just the answers, but questioning the questions that you get. And I learned that when I was 12 years old, I was working at a Mr. Submarine. You know what? I love a Mr. Sub. Great uh, milkshakes as well. 
it's hard to explain to people just how amazing it was when you had your first assorted. <laughs> and like people, most people around the world don't know what an assorted is, but when you have an assorted- A cold cut trio, you mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I remember walking in with a, with um, with my, a Walkman that I had on, listening to a cassette with those foamy earphones. And this guy said to me, what are you listening to? And I think I was listening to, I don't know if it was The Misfits or something, or I don't know. And he said, why do you like punk rock? And I said, you got to question the, the answers. And he goes, nah, man, fuck that. Question the questions. It blew my mind when you realized that there was a different experience out here. So I started, but you know, I started reading Stephen King and, uh, and Stephen King, of course, was really big. And I started reading Sherlock Holmes and then I started reading Anton LaVey. I read Aleister Crowley because I heard about it in, you know, Black Sabbath or Ozzy Osbourne tunes. So music was my connection to all this stuff. And then I had my uncle who is still alive, Paul, is maybe the biggest Uncle Paul's the biggest cultural force in my life. He, when I was 10 or 11 or 12, would take me to see independent movies in Toronto at these movie theaters that weren't playing the big blockbusters. So I would watch really, really what would now be called age inappropriate stuff. But what he did was let me watch them and then talked about them to me. So he taught me how to think critically. And that became, that became my driving force, right? Which is, I don't, just want what everybody likes because it doesn't speak to me. It felt manufactured. I wanted something that was a little bit more, you know, in the darker alleys of the neighborhood you grew up in, that kind of thing. Music was really important. Like The Clash, The Sex Pistols, directly to answer your question, were really, George Carlin were really, really important to me in terms of fighting a system that everybody told you you had to respect. Why was it broadcasting that that was the avenue that you chose to to have that be your art? What's weird is that it wasn't. It's not the plan. I wasn't supposed to do this for a living, and I don't know how it happened. Like I, I this was not my goal. I loved radio, and I, but I didn't think you could be on the radio. I didn't think that that's how it worked. So I was working at this movie theater in Rexdale, seeing lots of movies. I kind of figured I was like, maybe I'll be an architect. I love design. Maybe I'll be a designer of some kind. I like to draw. Maybe I'll be a, I don't know, maybe I'll be a director, you know, films. I thought that stuff. But again, I didn't know anybody in any of these fields. I didn't see any pathways to any of it. And I wasn't the kind of guy. I mean, I think I'm inherently lazy. I don't, I think I beg to differ you on that one. But I mean, I'm inherently lazy in this way. If I don't really want to do it, I'm just not going to do it. Okay. <laughs> you know? okay. So I was just working at this movie theater going, ah, for whatever. I joined the militia, the, 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 the reserves in the army on the dare. I'm like, maybe I'll do that. I don't know. And, but I was working at this theater. And so I went to get a motorcycle license as a teenager because I love motorcycles and motorcycles to me were the equal liberation. And the woman who worked there was a girl who I had a crush on. And I think, you know, I was too edgy for her, but you know what? I've never said that out loud, but I actually think that's what it was. I think this girl saw something in me that I didn't. And she said, here, take a look at this, where the motorcycle thing was. And she said, there's a course calendar here for other projects. So I flipped through it and I saw radio and I went, ah, fuck it. I'll try that. That's it, dude. That's my whole career. I applied to one college, Humber, really, for one program. I had my meeting with Humber College was 12 seconds, 15, 20 seconds long. I certainly did not wow them. They did not wow me. And I left with no interest. And then I got a letter in the mail saying, you're coming to Humber for radio. And I went, oh, okay. And you know what? It was, uh, I think tuition at the time was $900 plus another 400 for books and materials and radio, like you have to buy tapes. So it was a $1,300 experience. I worked at the movie theater and I drove a forklift and I worked at Mr. Submarine. 
and I paid, actually by this point I went to Subway and I paid for my college and I didn't get a grant from the government. Eventually they gave me a loan year too, but I didn't want the loan because I didn't want student debt. So I put it in the bank and I had it mature on the day I had to pay it back. And I just paid my, all the money back. And I think I made like $300 of um, interest that I used to pay for my motorcycle insurance. <laughs> That's really funny. I remember I so I went and applied to Seneca for their broadcasting because I didn't know where to go either or what to do or how to get my foot in the door. I didn't really know what I was doing. But I remember going to my meeting at Seneca and I was with like, you know, you do like the orientation with like, you know, 10 or 12 people. And everyone's like, I work in audio and I do video production. I do whatever. And this asshole, I go, I just want to be on TV. They fucking scoffed at me like, get out of here. I still have embarrassment over like I, everyone turned around and was like, calm down. Anyways, I didn't get in. But it worked for you. <laughs> it did work. The thing I didn't realize back then, but it is actually true, is I don't believe in manifestation, but I do believe in feeding your subconscious with the things and the ideas you want. And if you do that enough, you have a better shot at getting them than otherwise. It's not a guarantee, but you knew what you wanted. And you found a way to do it. And I think that there's something really impressive about that because there are a million roadblocks in every human being, unless you're ultra wealthy, unless you're that person, but even then you have roadblocks. It's just fucking hard to do this life. And it's hard to get close to your dreams. You're dealing with your parents' conditioning if you have them, your, your guardians, you're dealing with a system, you're dealing with all these things that kind of don't want you to win. They just want you to be safe. And safe isn't the same thing as winning. And that's my entire career was about putting myself in dangerous places and putting myself in dangerous places in my mind, which is nah, bro, go fucking get it. Most people couldn't do that, but it was, it worked for me. You have to know your brain. Thanks so much for hanging out with us guys. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the week, enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full length interviews um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts, just uh, download them, give them a listen, give them a like a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page. Just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there. And you can see us talking, having this interview, having a hangout. It's all up on there. Um, And that's been like a really great, cool, growing community. So uh, I'm really enjoying the hangouts on the YouTube as well. So we can see you guys over there. And jump in the comment section, you know. Jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, We like filtering through them all, reading about them, maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism if you had it. We're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been The Sessions.